Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, coming to you from the 2022 Just for Laughs Moon Tower Comedy Festival. My sometime co-host, Miss Purrington, is resting at home. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. You can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at Comedy Wham or on our Comedy Wham Facebook page. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, our new column, Rochelle Takes on Comedy. Have you checked out our events page for live shows in Austin, Houston, and DFW? If you're a comic in those cities and want your show featured on the calendar, go to the events page and click Submit a Show to complete the short survey. If you like the survey, send us a quick review and we'll share your review and promo your show on Instagram. Now let's get back to our podcast. With over 200 interviews since its launch in 2016, the podcast is your anthropology lesson in Austin comedy, bringing you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the comedy world as fascinating off stage as it is on stage. If you're listening, please rate and review us. Today, we are recording live on location at the Driscoll Hotel. I am going to get to talk to a 45-year veteran of stand-up comedy who is from Houston. He was a part of the Texas Outlaw comics, including Bill Hicks and Ron Schock. He's opened for Ray Charles, Jeff Foxworthy, Dick Gregory, and many, many more. In 2018, we all fell in love with him as we got to witness his star rising when he was featured on the 2018 America's Got Talent season, where Judge Howie Mandel recognized him from the days starting out together 40 years ago. He is working to release his debut album at the, the bright young age of 72, and he's got a GoFundMe campaign happening right now to help him do that. But personally, I will never forget the first time I got to watch him perform at a little Austin showcase called Sure Thing and falling absolutely in love with his energy and amazing joke writing talents. And that is a true story. And now Comedy Man presents our guest, I'm so honored, Andy Huggins. Thank you, Valerie. Real quickly, Mm -hmm. the Sure Thing, when I played that room, that's one of the, that might be the only time I've ever fell in love at first sight. When I first really? walked into to that room, I knew what a wonderful, now I wow. understand they've since they've changed, moved, yeah. but boy, what a great room. And I saw that room and I just knew, <laughs> I just knew it was a great comedy room. It was electric that night. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, yes. I like I say, might be the only time in my life person place or thing <laughs> where I fell in love at first sight. That's amazing, yeah. that's amazing. That was a very good show. Full disclosure, going to those Sure Things shows was my therapy after getting divorced. And yeah. I would go there almost every Saturday night yeah. and just laugh, laugh, laugh. There are very few performances that I vividly remember, like how I felt, the environment, and that is one of them. Yeah. And part of it is because Sure Thing, where it was located right off of Lamar, very close to the university, it was a very young audience. Yeah. You stroll in and people are like, what is this guy going to do? Yeah. That's one of the great joys of stand-up for me these days is surprising people. Because yes. I'm, I'm 72 years old, I look it. Um, if you don't know who I am, and most people don't, no reason they should. But when I walk on stage, I think they anticipate, um, you know, not just dad jokes, but granddad jokes. Yeah. You know, cardigan sweater uh, <laughs> jokes. And so I surprise them with yes. the tone and occasionally the language and just the attitude. It's mm-hmm. it's. Uh, it's and I've had more than one person uh, come up to me and say after the show, "Geez, when you hit the stage, I was oh God, what is this? <laughs> now this is going to be twenty minutes of rocking chair." And I, you know, with the, usually with, I don't remember what my opening line was that night, but usually with the first line, I yeah. I, I tell them this is going to be different from what they expected. Yeah. The sure thing, the other thing about the sure thing, I remember. I don't know why this is. I don't care what the venue is. People show up late. They show up the last minute. At the sure thing, the doors opened, I think, at 7.30. The crowd poured in. They were there yeah. on time. It's the most <laughs> remarkable thing I've ever seen in a comedy club. That, I mean, they won my heart. They didn't even have to laugh. Yeah. The fact that they we didn't have to hold the show because there were no people. They yeah. As soon as the doors opened, and I'm not kidding, every other venue, people, for whatever reason, and I don't care what city it is, they show up late. Yeah. The other exception is when I play like retirement communities 
old folks show up on time <laughs> yeah. for the obvious reason we don't have time we don't have time to, to waste <laughs> sitting around so if, if an old person is running the show it starts on time yeah. I mean, you ought to have old people running uh, airports flights would leave on oh, time yeah. I'm sorry right. they would just if you're not there I, the luggage I don't care it's leaving at eight o'clock then we're leaving at eight o'clock yeah. Well, I qualify as an old person, and I run my show on time. I, and I can't tell you, that's one of the, I'm kind of obsessive about time to begin with. Yeah. And th I've gotten a little better. I don't make myself as crazy when things start late. But I tell you, you, you win a friend for life if, if you're on time. Yeah, yeah. And this industry that you have chosen is notorious for things running behind, yeah. being chaotic. Oh, it kills me. And, yeah. Yeah, and I used to get very frustrated where I would go up to the showrunner say and say what the hell's going on yeah. well we're waiting for more people you know what they're not showing up yeah they, if they wanted to see the show they'd been here already Plus and the that's always that there the people that that's the other it. thing that's the other thing people there they you know they they, they pay a babysitter maybe mm -hmm. they show up on time no show no show they're waiting they're waiting you know what they're, never they're coming not back. coming back mm -hmm. they're not they're not, and who blames them? Yeah. Or if they do come back, they're going to show up late. And then and, yeah. the, you got to train an audience from the beginning. Yeah. And one of the, the, the rules you have to let them, show's going to start whether you're here or not. Yeah. And you know what? People start showing up on time if yeah. you stick to that. Lesson I'm guessing this one. is not wasn't supposed to be one of your <laughs> topics today is time and my uh, old person crankiness. I apologize, no. folks. No, it's we are simpatico. It is my old person crankiness too. Yeah. The shows start on time. <laughs> Luckily, you're here for a festival that is very well run. They, they did. Like, I did two shows last night. Just started on time. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very effective. Yeah. That. Um, God Andy, bless them. <laughs> I do have an official icebreaker question, but I'm glad we had that that yeah. uh, warm up. Uh, my official icebreaker question, which is going to be really fun to ask you because. Uh, if you imagine that I talk to a lot of young comics, this question, not so difficult to answer, but for you it might be, uh, pick one word to describe your past. My past? Oh, gosh. Well, how far into the past do you want to go? This can I, can I curse? Absolutely. Okay, I'll just fuck up. <laughs> you know. I, I was. Yeah. I, I'm a recovering alcoholic, so that contributed to a lot of my uh, 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 bad behavior, my irresponsibility. Mm -hmm. I, and now, I sh irresponsible might have been, in so many ways, might be a better word. For, yeah. I have another, I, I, my best friend has a, a similar past, and we talk about this all the time. We make ourselves laugh. We take such pride in paying bills on time. Mm. I feel like strutting around the apartment when I get online and pay a bill and it's done. I used to juggle accounts and, and, and ask for it and just ignore things would get cut off and, mm -hmm. you know, dodging the landlord, whatever it was. I was just irresponsible. Yeah. I was irresponsible for whatever reason. Uh, quitting drinking started me on the right path but even after that I still had to I'm 72 years old I would say it was probably till I was uh, 60 maybe I'm ashamed to say but that's the fact of the matter before I kind of got my life huh. together uh, and again like I say uh, uh, just completely I had no uh, I was drunk too much of the time I had no uh, no career uh, no ambition. I didn't know what I was doing. It's it all. When I think back on it, it's just uh, I'm so grateful for the life I have now compared to what I was. Yeah. But uh, yeah, fuck up is a more colorful way of saying <laughs> irresponsible. I like and, it. And I was both. Oh <laughs> Lord, I was both. So you you started comedy. You were you were drinking, and so one of the things that I'm curious about is. As you were getting sober, or got sober, decided, made that decision. 34 years uh, in four days. Okay, congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Um, how far into your comedy career were you? Before I got sober? Mm -hmm. I got started in 
78, got sober in 88. Okay, so you were 10 years in. Now, the first two years, I knew I had a drinking problem when I first started, and I told myself, I can remember very clearly, I gave myself a very stern lecture. You can't drink, Andy. Mm. This is going to be too difficult. You can't afford to drink. And I did, uh, I, I refrained from drinking for maybe a year or so, but I'm in bars. I'm with yeah. people that like to drink, and, and I was having fun doing stand-up and having fun being out and about. And so slowly the drinking crept back into my life. And at first... Uh, it was just, you know, sipping on a glass of wine the entire evening. But then it slowly uh, worked its way back out up to uh, uh, Jack Daniels on the Rocks. Mm. And yeah. we didn't sip. Actually, <laughs> I take that back. I, I, I would sip the first one. The, the first one every evening oh, yeah. was terrific. Yeah. I'd sip and nurse <laughs> it and enjoy it. But then the pace would pick up after, after that. So I was 10 years in when I got sober. Yeah. Do you feel that you're, um, I, I don't necessarily want this to turn into like a, a preachiness thing, but I, I don't drink myself, yeah. and I, I feel for the people that fight addiction um, because it's so pervasive in the comedy culture. Yeah. Um, how do you feel your comedy pivoted once you made that decision? Well, real simple. I I, I got clarity of mind. Mm. I, I got uh, I was able to think. Drinking, getting drunk is a way of, for a lot of people, and for me, just cutting yourself off, just kind of retreating more deeply into yourself, uh, putting up a barrier between you and people, and you're just not feeling things right. other than drunk and sorry for yourself. Mm -hmm. So you get sober, now you're you're more open to what's going on yeah. around you. You're more interested. Here was a problem, uh, a, a practical problem I had. When I was drinking, uh, it was the, the morning after that was the biggest problem comedy-wise. I could go on stage with a couple of drinks, maybe with a good buzz on, a couple of times drunk. I could get through that. Not spectacular, but I could get through that. Mm -hmm. But the next morning, I was just so wasted. I, I stopped writing. Ah. I just stopped writing. I had no energy for it. My head wasn't clear. Uh, uh, and, and, and so what, what happened was I just stopped writing, and I got bored with my, uh, my act because I was just doing the same thing over and over again. So I started talking to the audience, started doing crowd work, ah. which I was very good at. But the reason I was started doing it was because I stopped writing. Yeah. I stopped writing because I was hung over. I was hung over because I was drinking too much. Yeah. So that was a, so once I got sober, I started writing more. And as it happens, um, I have no interest in talking to the crowd. <laughs> I have no interest. I like, I like my jokes better than anything I might ad lib. Uh, and I was pretty good at it. Yeah. But there was a sameness to that also. Yeah. So uh, that was a, uh, a, a, a very practical uh, asset yeah. that took place when I got sober. But plus you're just more open to what's going on. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about your joke writing style is it's very quick punch set up or set up punch and it's always a funny turn. Yeah. Was that always the way you... That was it? always the way that, you know, watching comics growing up on uh, first the uh, Ed Sullivan show and then as afternoon talk, talk shows started to appear, Merv Griffin, Dinah Shore, Mike Douglas, uh, watched a lot of stand-ups, and that to me was always the, uh, the uh, uh, goal of Punchline mm -hmm. was to surprise the audience. It was, you know, yeah. you set up a situation where, uh, where there's, I think laughter is like the release of tension, so you yeah, set up a, 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 a situation where there's tension, mm -hmm. and I mean, we're not talking angst and producing tension, but just, two things colliding, and you go off in a, a, a direction that they didn't anticipate. The The great punchline is a punchline that makes sense and within the context of the, the setup, kind of makes comedy sense and it's a, per, a surprise both. Mm -hmm. Afterwards you go, oh, okay, yeah. yeah, why didn't I see that coming? The greatest compliment I've gotten, and I've gotten it a couple of times, and my best friend, who's also a terrific comic, um, Jimmy Pineapple, who was one of the uh, outlaw comics, he said, the first time I saw you, you surprised me with every punchline. He said, and I'm pretty good at anticipating punchlines. He said, you surprised me every time. Yeah.
that's what I that's that's what I try to do. Yeah, and it's incredible to do it at such a pace and rapid delivery. Like, you know, maybe peppered throughout somebody's set, but you're like it's set up punchline, set up punchline. Every once in a while, it's premise. Set up punchline. Yeah. But once you set up the premise, then set up punchline, yeah. set up punchline. Yeah. It's a style I grew up enjoying. It fit my uh, my off stage. You know, growing up, the kind of comedy I did to make my friends mm. laugh. It was yeah. just one-liners, and, and that's what I'm good at. Yeah. That's how my mind works. So you never experimented with telling a story. You experimented no, no with stories, work, no long form. Yeah. Uh, Part of the reason, basically because that uh, I do one-liners because that's how I think. Mm -hmm. But that's also what I saw growing up. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see long form. I didn't see, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, Louis C.K. type. Uh, they were around, but you didn't do long form on the Ed Sullivan show. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you had six minutes, boom, right. boom, 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 boom. Right. So, right. That's, so it was, it was a uh, combination of... Uh, uh, how my mind works anyway and what I saw. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember your very first time performing? Not much about it, but I do remember. I was in Charlottesville, Virginia. I'd been talking about doing stand-up for uh, many months, maybe years, and I had a friend, Bill Hatchett, who owned a record store on the same level as a, uh, of, of a restaurant lounge. And he said, okay, I'm tired of hearing you talk about it. And he said, I'm tired of hearing you talk about it. You're going to do stand-up uh, on this show where there's a folk singer. You're going to do time between the folk si singers act. So that's the first time I ever went on stage. So no preparation then. Oh no, I had been. I, I wrote some jokes oh, for okay. it, and I had written some jokes. I was sending off jokes to various people with some success, actually mild success. I don't remember. I'm almost sure this was the mid '70s. I'm sure it was mostly topical. Uh, in nature, the jokes I wrote, I'm sure it was awful. <laughs> I'm sure it was awful. Because I sense, you know, I have an interest in, in politics and, and certain social uh, uh, controversies and like, but I just don't write very good jokes. Mm. They're heavy handed. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I, I, at some point, I decided, well, that's just not yeah. what I'm good for. Yeah. Uh, that's not what I'm good at. But that's probably what I did. Uh, when I started at that year, yeah, I guess Nixon had already resigned. But, you know, there's always something going on. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I, I, I'm sure it was just awful. <laughs> I'm sure it was. What it does seem like, the, you know, the folk singer finished up his set, said, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a comic going to come out. And I thought I had five minutes. Well, I, you know, it. I think I was back in my seat before the folk singer sat down. I just went up there, boom, 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 boom. And it, 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 the five minutes went by. Uh -huh. As I'm sure you've noticed, with, uh, it's, it's always shorter than you think it is. Uh, it, it, you, you think five minutes is a piece of cake. And, well, particularly if you're doing bad one-liners, I mean, and nobody's <laughs> laughing. That'll, that'll, that'll end the yeah, set yeah. real quick. Yeah, you, yeah. That'll get you done in about two minutes. So that's the first time. Yeah. Uh, I know earlier you were talking about like uh, how you you were when you were still drinking and how life has been uh, as a performer yeah. since you stopped. Uh, do you remember any highlights of the pre-era? And then, I mean, I think just based on, on easy research, a highlight in the post-era is this America's Got Talent thing. Yeah. But in the drinking era, a highlight? I'll, I'll give you a spectacular low light. Oh. I was playing Omaha, I think, sharing a condo with uh, two other comics, both nice guys. One I knew was also from Houston. I knew him. Went on stage one Friday night, drunk. I woke up Saturday. I did not remember a single set of work. Did not remember anything about it. And I thought, well, I'm fired. How good could it have been mm -hmm. um, uh, if I don't even remember it? I couldn't tell you how much time I did, what I did. It was a frightening blackout. And so I spent, all, that was Friday night, I spent all day Saturday knowing the phone was going to ring and I was going to get fired. And they, they should have fired me. Phone never rang. 
went over that night to the club uh, uh, expecting to be fired. They're going to embarrass me in front of, well, okay, I deserve it. What are you going to do? Didn't say a word to me. The other comics never said a word to me about it. I never had the nerve to ask how it went. And I knew one of the comics I knew very well. I, he was a, a buddy from Houston. And I saw him many times subsequent to that night. Didn't have that nerve to ask him uh, uh, what, what, what my set was like. And I st still don't know. Yeah. That do was frightening. Do you think that today that would happen? As far as nobody calling you out on, on having done that. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know how I dodged dodge that bullet, but, yeah. I don't care. Uh, 2022 20, or 1922, you go on stage drunk at, to the yeah. point to where you don't remember, you're going to get fired. I don't know why the hell I wasn't. Yeah. I don't know why that. How can you not? Yeah. But I wasn't. Not only wasn't, but I got paid. <laughs> yeah, no, no, money was, uh, money. no money was docked from my yeah. uh, pay. So that's the most spectacular story I have about the drinking days. Yeah, yeah. Not anything. In fact, I sit here and just shake my head in shame at that, at that behavior. Uh, and that didn't happen. I, I would go on stage with a pretty good buzz on. Uh, but I rarely went on stage just flat out. Flat out drunk. It's also tough if you're touring because you're not home. You don't have like this is what I'm used to. So you're it's like you're you know from when you're bowling you have the gutter guards. Yeah. Like when you're touring you don't have those gutter guards and no, you just don't yeah. know what's normal. And yeah. So yeah. And easy. and drinking it's just an easy refuge from being on the road and being yeah. being lonely and yeah. you don't know anybody. Well, I have a couple of drinks. I'll get to know somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that's, and as you just referenced, since I quit drinking, America's Got Talent was probably a highlight. Because it was on national TV and went very well, arguably the biggest audience I've ever played to. It was, there were, it was huge, over a thousand, I'm sure, which, you know, it's, that's a number dwarfed by, yeah, well, that's a number that's dwarfed by, Big time comics. I mean, a thousand's nothing to a lot of them, but a thousand, probably the biggest audience yeah. I've, I've played to, and er, I mean everything about that, that experience went well. I, uh, I, I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. And it was interesting too, you know, backstage it, uh, they, they, on that day they were going to tape two different shows. I don't know how many different acts, and you're backstage and there are all kinds of acts rehearsing or being mm -hmm. interviewed or hanging out I mean it's just it's the interesting thing it's not chaotic I mean huh. they, they do a terrific job of uh, yeah. I c remember complimenting uh, one of the producers of which there were about 87 producers um, I never saw anybody lose their temper I never saw a producer get impatient yeah. with anybody they, they did a terrific job and it, I think it was kind of I, I think it helped my uh my nerves just to be distracted by all this that was going on around me. Yeah. And it, you know, they, the producers were nice. Uh, right before I went on stage, I uh, uh, one of the producers came up to me and we started talking and got to talking baseball. Mm. And that relaxed me enormously because mm. I, I was probably a couple of minutes from going on and he was from Boston, I'm from Houston. So, and the, and the Astros had just won the World Series several months before yeah. so we we got to talk in baseball yeah, so they were great it was a great experience and the sh my set went very well uh yeah yeah i i watched one of the the highlight clips and how i think you recognized howie before he recognized you oh absolutely absolutely and was that moment whatever they captured on you know on the screen was that like genuine like he did not he, he ran he and was it Heidi Klum, they came backstage where we were waiting. Uh, the, the other two judges, uh, who uh, Mel B and Simon uh, mm -hmm. Cowell, yeah. they entered the stage from a different direction. But Howie walked past me, and he had kind of a uh, puzzled look, like he because we this was forty years ago at the Comedy Store in Westwood mostly, and we we knew each other to talk. Yeah. I think I was the first person to introduce Howie. 
at the comedy store on a set at Westwood. Uh-huh. First time he had performed at Westwood. Uh-huh. And I think I was the, the MC that night. So there was a glimmer of recognition. I mean, yeah. again, it's been 40 years. And then when he uh, got to the table where they all sit and they're looking at the poor, and he saw my name. Oh, okay. And now he's looking up yeah. at me and, uh, oh, okay. Now I, now I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Now I remember. That was so lovely. Captured. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. A, he's now I got to talk to him at the break at the break they took. I uh-huh. we were all grabbing something to yeah. eat, and I got to talk to him for a while. Yeah. He, he's a nice person. Yeah, I've heard he's very nice. Yeah, he's a nice person. Easy to get along with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you were are from Houston. Now you're you're still in Houston, but you spent time in, in L.A. and performing at the Comedy Store. How long of a time period are we talking about? I moved from Virginia to Los Angeles in late 77, okay. early 78, and I was there till September of 81. So Houston is not your first, that's not your home hometown? No, my the fam- it is now, but yeah, yeah, I've been there since 81. Um, my family, we moved around a bit, so, but I tell people, um, and I consider myself a Virginian, because mm-hmm. that's, I, I lived there longer than any other place growing up. That's where I graduated high school, so I, I consider myself a Virginian. Uh, like I said, I, uh, first time I went on stage was in Charlottesville, Virginia, then I went out to Los Angeles mm-hmm. in, in late 77, uh, 78. Yeah. And how was that? Was it as much of a culture shock as it can be for somebody starting? I, I don't know if shock was the right word. It was comfortable because I was uh, first time I, uh, I, I got, I was blessed. I always used to say, uh, I, I, and when it applies, I said, boy, I was lucky. And Ron Shock would always correct me, no, you're not lucky, you're blessed. Mm. So I was blessed that uh, at the comedy store I got I was made a regular. I was passed by Mitzi my second time on stage. Jeez. Got got real lucky that a real I was blessed yes, that way. Yeah. So being a regular, uh, I called in for spots, but also gave me uh, the the you know a backstage. I could go backstage at the comedy store on Sunset mm-hmm. and just hang out. And it was the first time uh, I was ever around comics. I'd never been around comics mm-hmm. before. Now, these are the people I ought to be hanging out with. I was very comfortable meeting all these. I was real impressed with meeting some of the people I've been watching on TV for several years, yeah. like uh, Jay Leno and, and Richard Lewis and Lane Boozler and Jimmy Walker and David Letterman and George Miller. My and gosh. they were, uh, and, uh, uh, and people starting out, they were, everybody was very, friendly. Steve Landisberg from Barney Miller. Um, they were all very uh, friendly and so, you, you know, you know, going, hey, Jay, what's going on? What are you doing? They were all very uh, uh, solicitous of what you were up to. Yeah. You're going on stage a lot. You're writing a lot. So, but it felt comfortable finally being around my tribe. Yeah. So, it was probably a shock, but I most, mostly remember relief and comfort. Yeah. Finally, where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. These days. If you're moving to LA, and if you get to that paid regular spot at at the comedy store, that also means you're doing writing for TV shows. You're on TV shows. You're somehow in the public eye in that way. When you were when you became a paid regular, was that the culture? Uh, I didn't get any offers as far as that, but the, some people did. Some people, you know. Uh, at one time, both Jay Leno and David Letterman wrote for uh, Jimmy Walker. He mm-hmm. liked their act. They, they, you know, they supplied him with lines. Yeah. A lot of stand-ups uh, got that job. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy uh, g- gave a lot of them work. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, Letterman and Leno, they kind of did. They, you know, they were on TV for a little bit. Yeah, for a while. <laughs> uh, God bless them. They finally caught a break. Uh, uh, but yeah, this, people got writing jobs, so that was pretty much the culture. It didn't happen for me. Uh, is it something you wanted, or is it just not really? Had? I mean, I ended up writing over the years. Yeah. I've written for uh, shows, not as a paid regular, but submitting lines, uh, yeah. uh, and and they've been used. I submitted uh, lines to when Jay took over the Tonight Show. 
I submitted lines that he used on the show. I submitted lines to Robert Wool, who, when I submitted the lines, was writing for Billy Crystal on the Academy Awards. So I had a couple of lines done on the Academy Awards yeah. 30 years ago, almost 30 years ago. So, yeah, it, it's pretty much the culture, yeah. Uh, yeah. same culture as it is today. Was it, was it a different element or a different uh, level of... Uh, what's the right word to choose? Not love, but um, I guess boil it down to how did it feel to hear your joke spoken by somebody else to such a massive audience? I loved it, yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't have it on tape, the Tonight Show lines. Mm. I do have on tape one of the Academy Award lines. I may have them... Uh, I did... I did one, the first year I, I wrote for, or submitted lines to Wool, then maybe two the next year, so three altogether. Yeah, it's a huge drill. You know, yeah. you do a line, it gets a laugh, and the, they cut to, you know, Warren Beatty or whoever it was in the audience laughing at one of your jokes. Uh -huh. You thought, okay. That's such a boost. I, yeah, yeah. I, I won the universe tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. I'm strutting around my apartment all by myself, real, real pleased. Uh-huh. Real please, yeah, it's a kick. Yeah, it's a kick. Yeah. Um, what brought you to Houston or away from from LA? When I was in Los Angeles, I made friends with Bill Hicks, Raleigh Barber, Jimmy Pineapple. They had all came. Uh, they, they all came out to Los Angeles. One by one, they all went back to Houston. Mm. Stage time was so scarce, and it got frustrating. Yeah. So they moved back to Houston, where they were regulars and worked a lot at the comedy workshop. They called me up one day and said, Andy, there's more stage time for you in Houston. Mm. And that's all I needed to hear. Uh, and Somebody lost could have called you from, I don't know, Podunk, Arkansas, and you would have gone? If, if they had the same uh, <laughs> offer. In Houston in the 80s, there must have been at one time six, seven full-time comedy clubs in Harris oh. County. So you got a lot of stage time. But the comedy workshop alone gave me more stage time than I was getting at, mm -hmm. uh, at, uh, at the comedy store. You know, I'd do real well for a while, then Mitzi would ignore me mm -hmm. for a while. Do real well for a while, then she'd ignore me for a while. So it was very frustrating. Yeah. So, and you know, Jimmy, Bill, and Riley and I, we were all great friends, and yeah. they painted a real uh, appealing, uh, a picture of what the comedy community was like in Houston. They were right. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. Uh, one downside to that is the drinking picked up steam when yeah. I got to Houston because uh, we, we had fun. Um, but yeah, it was just more stage time. Like I say, there was a lot of it. Now, you weren't going to uh, get rich, but bills got paid when you chose to pay him. <laughs> when you remember to pay yeah, him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I moved per, uh, primarily uh, for the stage time. I, and, and again, consistent weekly stage time. I didn't have to worry about being on the outs with Mitzi and not yeah. working for a month. So yeah, that's why. That was in 81. And at any point, did you find yourself going back and forth? No, at one point in 91... Uh, I moved back to Los Angeles. Mm. I swear to God, I'm not lying. I don't remember really why. <laughs> I do remember I got back out there. I really didn't pursue performing at the comedy store. I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try and hook up with a writing job. I know I did a mm. lot of writing, faxing jokes to Leno. That's how you submitted lines back then. Um, and I was there for a couple of years, then moved back to mm. Houston in 94. So I've been back in Houston yeah. for 27 years. Is that right? 27 years now. 94 yeah. to 20. Jeez. Time. Yeah. Slow down. <laughs> Slow down, time. How did the name the Texas Outlaws come about? Uh, I didn't come up with the name. Uh, back in the late 70s, a comic named Steve Epstein put together a show for four Houston comics. Bill, Riley, Sam Kinison, Carla Bow. They were going to do a show at one of the bigger theaters in Houston, and the, the idea was that they were going to take the money earned from the show uh, and finance their 
moved to Los Angeles. The show was called Comics on the Lamb. So it had kind of an outlaw uh, mm -hmm. feel to it. Um, but then, actually, from what I understand, show didn't make any money. But they, they went anyway. But then Epi decided to revive the idea in the mid-'80s, and he came up with the name of Texas Outlaw Comics. And uh, I was just thinking about our group before you showed up today, and my advice to anybody that wants to start a group, uh, come up with a good name. Yeah. Come up with a good game. I don't know how outlaw we were, but people <laughs> love that name, Texas Outlaw Comics. It's It's been, oh, say, 15 plus 21, 36 years since the, the, the group started. And we, to be honest with you, we didn't do all that many shows. Uh, the, the core group huh. didn't do the, all that many shows. But people still talk yeah. about it, partly because uh, Bill and Ron Schock were, uh, and they were very popular individually, of course. Mm -hmm. So people still, but come up with a great name. name yeah, because yeah, yeah. that's it's perfect, Texas Outlaw Comics. That that, that conjures up a, a, an image that, like I say, might have been a little bit fault, but <laughs> it, they, it's they say, but yeah, yeah it's they it's said great in for marketing. the man who shot Liberty Valance, when legend becomes fact, print the legend. <laughs> and that's that's what happened, that's what has happened with, yeah. with us. Yeah. But I, I guess Epi came up with the name riffing off the Comics on the Lamb idea. Uh -huh. We're going to be outlaws. Texas outlaws. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a winner. That's a winner. <laughs> how long did you perform? You said you didn't have that many shows. Not that many. It th throughout the, uh, I bet as a group, we probably stopped doing shows in the late 80s. Mm. I don't remember yeah. specifically. Nobody, maybe I just ought to let the legend stay oh, yes. intact. Okay, yes. so we did Let's shows. We killed. We were outlaws. <laughs> There's probably some warrants still out for us. Yeah, we went into witness protection <laughs> for a couple of couple of years. Some of us, which explains the lack of progress in my career. But yeah, I tell you what. However many shows we did, they were fun. Yeah. Steve Epstein, Bill Hicks, uh, Ron Schock, Riley Barber, Jimmy Pineapple, John Pernetti, and myself. Yeah. It's a fun group. Funny people, all. Uh, the Bill would always the show would always conclude with Bill doing his Elvis impression, which was hysterical. Uh, uh, fun. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. I I've heard a lot of Bill, and uh, it seems like a, a massive legend. You know. Oh yeah. Died when he died. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Um. Man, this this uh, this is like a, a history lesson in comedy. Um, I wish I'd, uh, I was a blackout drunk. Otherwise, I'd have more stories <laughs> for you. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's I was a blackout drunk. Yeah. I remember yeah. one time um, I asked Steve Epstein. We were having lunch. And I said, "What? What happened last night?" he goes, you don't remember? I said, no, I had a blackout. And Steve, God bless him, all of a sudden became concerned with, that's not good, you need to do something. Was, and this is my alcoholic response. Was, oh, no, it's okay, I always blackout. It's, that's, that's the way it goes. <laughs> that was the norm for me, yeah. so no need to be concerned. I, I have too much to drink and I blackout. So, stories we tell ourselves. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's amazing. Um, uh, uh, Matches from my sister. I was wondering how my Kickstarter oh. fund was doing. I can't get at it. Oh, I, yeah, I have a Kickstarter. When will this? Uh, uh, we are trying to get it out before the deadline. Oh, the deadline yeah. is May second. Well, okay, I have a Kickstarter uh, fund that um, um, is going to finance the filming of my act this summer. Uh, we want to have the best crew, the best equipment, the best venue, and we need some money to do that. So we have a Kickstarter. If anybody, if this gets out before the deadline of May 2nd and you feel like contributing, just go to Kickstarter and type in my name. Yeah, yeah. But I had a ding. I should have 
ignored it, but my <laughs> sister, I can't get it Kickstarter from my phone for some reason. Huh. My sister was just telling me where it stands. Yeah. We're about $6,000 short. So. Well, with your, I mean, I know it's tough when you're performing at a festival. You can't just slightly drop in. Hey, I'm doing a... Yeah, you know, I, ha I, do I, yeah, I do have some cards <laughs> here that I had printed up that after a show, yeah, well, right, right before, the, at the end of my set, I always say, hey, look, Kickstarter, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah. If you want to access it, access it, I have, uh, I have these cards that uh, you a click. scan. Uh, it has a QR, QR code, code yeah, on the, uh, yeah. on the, uh, on the back and uh, that way, but you know what? The festival is somehow it just seems crass to it's sell to merchandise yeah. and and to do that. Yeah. This is what I have. Ah, um, very good. So I haven't, you know, I, I had two very good sets last night, but I just couldn't, yeah. couldn't, uh, couldn't bring myself to do it. And it, that that may or may not be a mistake on my part, yeah. but I'm not doing it. But I'm gonna make a suggestion because. Um, if you say, "I'm Andy Huggins," follow me on Facebook. Yeah, they're gonna find. They're gonna follow you. Yeah, and they're gonna see your promotion. So I, I should say that at the Just end of the set, Andy Huggins, follow me on it's Facebook. Very unintrusive. It's not, "Hey, sh I'm shoving this down your throat." Yeah, it's just, "Hey, follow me on Facebook." Yeah, excellent suggestion. I'll do that. Because uh, uh, if you go to Facebook, I guarantee you you're gonna see that yeah. goddamn link that I'm <laughs> so tired of basically begging. <laughs> Uh, for money, I hate asking for yeah, money. But I, that people tell me there's no way to. You have to be persistent. Mm -hmm. And with Facebook, you you can't. You don't know who's going to see any individual. So keep posting it. Yeah. Uh, so that I'll do that. Thank you for this. Yeah, I got four more shows to to get it done. But uh, yeah, that was what I, I apologize for the uh, no, no the, in, the so interruption. Do you know where you're you're filming it? Have you already the, the venue? There are a couple of venues that it, that is possible. Uh, and Slade Ham is producing and directing. He's a comic and a filmmaker. Um, and I've, I'm leaving everything up to mm -hmm. Slade. To let him. He has uh, filming considerations uh, uh, that uh, I don't have an eye for. So yeah. I, I don't know. There are several in possible H clubs in Houston. Oh, in Houston, yeah. certainly for Houston. It's got to be Houston. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, the, the hometown the, crowd yeah to yeah 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 and i, I love houston mm -hmm. i love houston yeah. and i've built somewhat of a following i couldn't fill an arena but we might be able to fill a theater yeah so with as much of a history as you have in comedy have you given any thought to writing a book no no because i'm i'm capable uh, I, I mean i'm very self-aware and I know what I'm capable of and what I'm not, and I can't see me sitting down mm. and and putting the effort into yeah. and all the uh, any any effort I put into writing a book takes time away from writing jokes. And to me, my life it's all about the the act and the jokes in the act. Yeah. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna get out my legal pad and ballpoint pen, which is how I write, <laughs> I can't write on a keyboard. Yeah. Um, then I'm gonna write jokes. I'm not gonna write about. I'm more than willing to, to contribute what I know to people writing books or podcasts or yeah. whatever, but I don't want to sit down and uh, yeah. I, I don't want to, and I wouldn't be any good at it. Mm. And then it has been suggested, you know, I'll oh, tell a story yeah. or two and people say, when are you going to write the book? Mm -hmm. Not happening. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> and for those, you're, you're not missing anything. <laughs> I'm not depriving. Uh, I'm not depriving the world of great prose. <laughs> well, we know that one night in Omaha. Yeah, <laughs> we're never yeah, going to know the story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I ought to put out a uh, write the book just and hope somebody who was there reads it. Maybe somebody, you know, the the, the way the internet works these days, you never t can tell who's going to hear this podcast. Yeah. It gets heard and shared and shared. And next thing you know, somebody he sounds familiar. I remember that night. If you're one of those people, keep it to yourself, <laughs> or at least don't tell me. I, you know, I say I don't know. I don't want to know. Yeah. It can't be good. There's no way it's good. No way anything goofy happened. You know that charming goofy uh, behavior. No way that that happened. Andy, with all of the the experiences that you've had and how people adore you, not just in Houston but outside, do you do you? Uh, 
take the mantle of the mentor and the like um, a leader in the scene and share your your wisdom with with younger comics I'm more than willing I, I have a standing offer to uh, to comics in Houston buy me breakfast and I'll I'll, I'll talk comedy <laughs> all morning all we'll find a restaurant that serves breakfast all day buy me breakfast uh, I'll answer any questions you may have I'll, I'll talk about because com- I'll talk comedy uh, yeah. all day and all night I love it yeah and so yeah I it's 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 a joy to me if somebody wants to do it. It's it's, yeah. it's not like I feel like I'm I have a duty to share what I know. It's uh, or an obligation to share what I know. Yeah. It, I enjoy sharing what I know. Yeah. And you know, I I don't think what I know, what I can share, ought to be written in stone. These are just opinions that I have, and 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 there are ten other opinions that contradict mine. Yeah. That just is legitimate. So it's not like I f- feel like I'm on Mount Olympus, uh, throwing down pearls of uh, <laughs> wisdom, but you know, there are thoughts that somebody that's been doing comedy for a while and is good at it has. So, yeah. but it's just talking comedy. I, I do that all day, all night. Yeah. Do you ever do you do you ever see comics making mistakes that you know you've made, and ever tap them on the shoulder and say, Yeah, every once in a while. Yeah, every once in a while. Uh, a for instance, I was working a gig with a comic who was fairly new, done a lot of one-nighters in bars. Well, now we're working together, and it's a legitimate comedy show uh-huh. in a room. And he's emceeing, and he did his set. And after he came off, I told him, "Look, you're not in a bar; you don't have to shout. You don't have to shout. You don't have to attack the audience. Like in bars, sometimes you have to attack because there's some people there maybe that." Uh, uh, didn't even know there was going to be a, mm-hmm. so you have to get their attention. You have to hold it. Said so, you know, and you can, you can uh, ease up maybe on the f bombs, yeah. uh, which I, I, you know, I happen to think fucks a great word. I think it's a great comedy word, but you don't Doesn't need it every third song. word. Yeah. So I told, yeah, I'll do something like that. The one thing everybody gets told, and everybody who's been in the business longer than two years will tell somebody, move the mic stand. <laughs> Everybody who's ever done stand-up, the first time, they take the mic out of the stand and they just leave the stand. Yeah. So that's uh, that's something everybody gets told by everybody besides myself. But yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, I tell, you know, if the audience isn't laughing, sometimes, like I mentioned earlier, you might think of yourself as a great political satirist, or you might think of yourself as a uh, Great impression. The audience doesn't laugh. Stop doing it. Yeah. Listen to the audience. The audience will tell you everything, uh, everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. And again, I will pontificate on comedy, and I can tell you, for instance, why this joke will never work. And if the audience laughs, you know, fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> the audience knows more than I do, yeah. uh, and that's who you should listen to. Yeah. But yeah, if somebody's making some some or a, 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 a egregious error I'll, I'll tell them but you know there are a lot of comics uh, uh veteran comics will do the same in houston i mean it's a very yeah, generous it's a great scene yeah and has been since the uh late 70s yeah. and there's always you know th- that encompasses uh, maybe three or four different generations of comics you know groups show up mm-hmm. i tend to think of comedy generations as being like 10 years or so yeah and they're probably about 40 uh, 40 uh four four generations of comics yeah. and there's always been a strong core veteran group that uh, that uh, uh, will pass along what they know it's mm-hmm. yeah not that it isn't competitive not that it doesn't get nasty and not that there aren't resentments and grudges of course there are we're comics yeah. that goes along with <laughs> being a comic is being resentful and carrying a grudge so you got that going on sure. but you got uh, comics are interesting people they it's, are that's why i've been doing this yeah they're just, we're interesting <laughs> people and it's an interesting uh what was i talking about i was talking about it with somebody just these two competing whatever it was it, it involved two competing attitudes that mm-hmm. uh are both being i think they were talking about maybe comedy competitions you want to be supportive of your friends but how the hell yeah. Did he win? And yeah. I didn't. And 
you know, so you're competitive with the friend, yet you're going to be supportive of your friend. And, uh, uh, you know, you may have a, a great support group or a great spouse or a great, uh, but essentially you're alone. Right. Essentially you're alone. So, you, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you got a lot of different competing attitudes, mm -hmm. comics. Yeah, they're starting are very self-contradictory. Yes, yes. Um, so you're here for the Moon Tower Festival, which is an invitation festival. Yeah. Uh, is going to festivals something that you have uh, an appetite for, or you just? They're they're fun, but they're not they're not uh, my be. I don't submit to too many festivals. Yeah. This is. There's one festival in Houston that's very successful called Come and Take It. That's in May. I've done. They've been doing it for about five or six years. I do that every year. I did the Great American Comedy Festival maybe five years ago, doing this festival. And, you know, if uh, is this uh, your first time at Moon Tower? First time at Moon oh, Tower. Better yeah. not be the last. I'm hoping it didn't because <laughs> thus far uh, I'm having fun. And, you know you. It's just, again, it's fun. You, there's not a lot of pressure, certainly on any one comic. I don't feel any pressure yeah. to, you know, I go up. Last night I did eight minutes at one show, ten minutes at another. That's no pressure. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, mingling, networking, schmoozing, that's not one of my uh, strong points. Uh, and I'm guessing at age 72 I'm not going to learn how to do it. I'm just, But I gave it a shot last night, kind of. And yeah. I'll continue to do that. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. But it, yeah, it's fine. You meet different people. And again, you know, at uh, at uh, at Antone's, the comics that they all showed up and got backstage, introduced themselves. Everybody very friendly. Yeah. There's not a competitive feeling of uh, uh, I got to do better than anybody, everybody else in this room. Yeah. I didn't get that sense. So um, I've always heard it described that for the performers, specifically at Moon Tower, it's like summer camp. Ah, okay. I accept that. <laughs> I accept that. Might be a merit badge or two I can earn yeah, while I'm maybe so. <laughs> while I'm here. But yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, again, I, I'm with uh, hanging out with my tribe. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. People I never met before. I don't think there's some of the Austin comics I know very well. Yeah. But of the national comics coming from over, I think I only know one. That I've met one. Maybe there might be a second one. Mm -hmm. I think she's going to be here. I think I saw this lady's name. But yeah, so I met a bunch of new people last night. Yeah. Okay. Andy, we are going to start wrapping up, and I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. Uh, one is pure uh, indulgence and silliness. So uh, I interviewed Zahid Duji. Last summer, he was part of the secret group, Zaid. Oh, Zaid! Oh, yes. yeah, I saw him last night. Yes, yeah, yeah, I saw he's him here. Last night too. Um, are you happy that he's getting out of Houston? Ah, uh, nah, <laughs> nah. He's good company <laughs> and a good great. comic. Uh, you never want to lose. I mean, we lost him. About four or five comics moved to uh, New York early this year. All of them very good comics. Yeah. All of them great company, good guys. We miss him already. Uh, We'll miss Saeed. Yeah. Uh, but he has a, a, a strong connection to the Secret Group, which is a, a, a club in Houston, a very good club. So I, I'm guessing he'll be back often enough yeah. uh, to uh, remind us as to why we're glad he left. <laughs> yeah, to, oh, yeah, that's right. When you're going back to New York. No, <laughs> he's good company. I enjoy him. And uh, that was you know pure what? indulgence. Yeah, I like Saeed's act. But if somebody's a comic, for me, the fact that you're a comic is enough. I don't have to like your act. I don't have to applaud it. If yeah. you're if you're a comic and doing yeah. comedy, I'm on your side. Yeah. So yeah. that certainly applies to side. Okay, now I'll go a little more serious. Um, uh, what's your favorite thing about being a performer? Writing. About being a performer, that's not writing. I like, uh, you know, I mentioned... Uh, 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 the fact that I surprise people, I enjoy the hell out of that. Um, the best thing about being performer is being good at it. It's I'm I, I'm good at it, and I get a kick out of uh, being on stage and doing a good job and getting the reaction that you get when you do a good job. It's it's fun. It's it's you know, and writing 
is the most satisfying. But when you're performing, you're taking that aspect of it, putting it on stage. You do a new line, it gets a, a laugh. It's the best. Maybe that's the best thing about performing is uh, doing new lines that work. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. On the flip side, is there anything that you would say is your least favorite thing? About performing or about... Oh, bachelorette parties. <laughs> That's my least favorite thing about uh, performing. And I, I tell, and I am not alone. <laughs> I am not alone in that. Bachelor parties, if they're at a comedy show, the batch, and they want to be a part of the show, they'll attack you uh -huh. while you're on stage. They'll make, they, they'll heckle you. They'll yell at you. They'll engage with you. Bachelorette parties, God bless women, but <laughs> there's somebody on stage, they're not the center of her attention, so they'll just essentially turn their back on the show and just start talking real loud among themselves and in the attempt, everybody, every comic, I bet you a dollar, if, if you ask them what their least favorite audience is, they'll tell you, yeah. bachelorette party. I can see it, I can see it. Uh, I had a, a, a good friend, he used to own a club, and a, he, a lady called up wanted to have her bachelorette party at his club. He said, fine, we'll accommodate you, but uh, let me tell you this, I won't hesitate to throw you out. He says, I've thrown out bachelorette parties before. I'll throw you out if, uh, if, if you can't behave. Yeah. You know, and they'll walk in and the, the, the bride will have a dildo on it, a hat on it, and just, and everybody, you know, and it's understandable. It's bachelorette party. Uh, she's the center of attention. She's with her best friends. So, but when they're not the center of attention, as they aren't, because nobody else is there for them. So that's my least favorite. You know, I used to be intimidated by small crowds. Not anymore. Mm. Not anymore. They're fine. Yeah. Uh, I can't. Yeah, that's probably my uh, least favorite. I've gone on stage ill, but there's something, you know, a cold or just not, or feeling run down or something. Yeah. But there's, being on stage gives me and gives anybody such an adrenaline rush yeah. that I, I get through feeling ill. As soon as I step off stage, it's uh, I'm back to coughing and sniffing and whatever. But uh, uh, yeah, bachelorette parties. <laughs> Ladies, take it elsewhere. You're they got men's it. clubs where you can go for that, where you can watch guys and dance and they'll, they'll make you the center of attention. And is there anything we haven't talked about that you want people to know about you? No, uh, I've promoted myself. Where I, I am a, a a very good comic. If you ever Absolutely. get a chance to come to act, I think you'll enjoy it. Most people do. Uh, nah, we talked about the Kickstarter. That's very important to me. We need about six thousand dollars more, and we have till May second to raise that. Other than that. Uh, I tell you, it's all about the audiences. Every time you can make yourself a part of an audience, I'm, we're all very grateful. And uh, there's nothing better than live stand-up comedy. Now, you can get a good sense of uh, how great a comic is by watching film clips, by watching Netflix, by uh, listening to, to audio, but there's nothing like being there. Mm -hmm. So anytime you can be there, I'm grateful. But other than that, no, I did. I'm a pretty simple guy. I live to do stand-up. I get to do it at age 72. Uh, I'm so grateful, given this, that, and the other, that I'm still able yeah. to do it. I very easily could have be very easily could have been homeless under a bridge right now, toothless and uh, ranting about the time I was at the comedy store and the other bums looking at me. Oh Christ! Not this bullshit again. <laughs> Every night, every night at this hour, he starts talking about how he used to be a comic, how he's going to get back into it. Could have been me. It isn't. Glad, glad. Um, all right, well, let's close out with my closing question. Sure. One word to describe your future. Strong. Love it, love it. 
All right. Well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham Presents Andy Huggins. And Thank you. you. Very enjoyable. Yes. Well, why don't you tell us where we can find you on social media and um, that GoFundMe campaign? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. I spend too much time <laughs> on Facebook. But if you find me on Facebook, send me a friend request. I'll hop on it immediately. Uh, though I'm away from my computer for a couple of days till Sunday. This, we're recording this on Friday. And I can't seem to get it on my iPhone. iPhone is new to me, mm-hmm. and I'm lucky I can know how to answer it. <laughs> An email I can do. But I'm on Facebook. I have a Twitter account. I never pay any attention to it. So let's just do Facebook, Andy Huggins. Uh, uh, and as I, Valerie mentioned, uh, that goddamn link to the <laughs> Kickstarter is all over it. And I apologize for that, but I'm told no, to do it. I'm told to do yes. it. Also, there's a link to a young lady uh, decided to make up some stickers. And uh, they're, they're $5. You go to her. She has a link on there. It's a, it's a cartoon uh, uh, drawing of me. And I think it's cute as hell. Uh <laughs> So if you see that, click on that, buy a sticker for five bucks, all that money, and all the money goes to uh, to my Kickstarter. So, And that link's everywhere. So other than that, this was enjoyable. I enjoyed myself. I, I, hope, I hope you did too. I hope yeah, your listeners do. Well, we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Andy got to be the comedic genius that you heard today just as much as I have. This has been Comedy Wham Presents Andy Huggins. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, ma'am.